Yeah, I just think there was a miscommunication, certainly between me and, and what I wanted to do um, at that particular situation with Derek. So um, that, that was really on me. From the two-yard line for the two-point conversion to tie this game. Carr back into the gun. Edwards is out to the right. Zay Jones to the left. Looks to the right. Fires oh, back. Oh, high. He missed. had Edwards. Yes. He had Edwards wide open. It's very frustrating. Field goals, they're not going to win you games. You know, you got to get touchdowns, um, especially the teams that we have coming up playing. We're going to need touchdowns in, uh, in, order to, in order to win those games. So, uh, very frustrating, uh, especially with how close some of those plays were. We've got to find a way to score more than 15 points, obviously. Thought we had a chance here at the end. If Trayvon Merrick ends up, hangs on to that, uh, the game got a chance to be over. The old Jamar can't handle a pass inside, runs it down, and then throws it away. And it's taken by Keyshawn Gilbert. Gilbert underneath. Gilbert got fouled. They didn't call it. Gilbert got grabbed. They didn't call it. He missed the layup. That's ridiculous. I mean, I know the game's out of hand, but and Kevin Kruger is letting the official have it. It's the principal. And I don't blame him. I mean, that that's ridiculous. The, I think they almost could have called it an intentional foul. Now Stefanini gets away from Gilbert and lays it in. Keys, you know, give Keyshawn credit. He, he just keeps playing, but that's ridiculous. Just crushed my dreams. Boom. Sadness. That's the one. All right. Jared played a piece of sound there from Derek Carr where he said, hey, field goals won't win you games. Do you think Rich Basacci is listening when he says that? No, I think Rich Basacci is back in the uh, locker room making up uh, notes for Monday press conference. <laughs> he likes to write notes. <laughs> Because no, I don't, I don't think so. Because there's a couple of things there. The Raiders have settled for a lot of field goals. Hell, I think they kicked five, even though they beat Dallas. They have, they have made Daniel Carlson an All Pro, by the way. Right, He's making absolutely. the Pro Bowl, absolutely. But <laughs> like, so when Derek Carr says you can't settle for field goals, Derek Carr is talking about himself missing a couple of throws. He had the one uh, to Zay Jones that could have been a touchdown there. They had the one to Foster Moreau that got broken up at the goal line. Right, like there were a couple of throws that Derek Carr could have made that would have led to touchdowns instead of field goals. But when he says you can't settle for field goals, what I hear is why the hell does the coach keep kicking field goals on fourth and short? That's what I apply to that quote because multiple times, and it's not just this game, it's been every game that Rich Passaccia has coached in, fourth and short inside the 40-yard line, the Raiders are kicking a field goal every single time. It's not even a discussion point for the Raiders, and that's what I hear. When when a, your quarterback comes out and says, hey, we can't kick field goals and expect to win games, if I'm the head coach, well, the first thing is, all right, we'll make the throw to Zay Jones, Derek, and we'll be fine. But the second make the thing... Make the one to Edwards and right. at least tie it up. But the second part of this is, oh... We keep losing games when I kick these field goals on fourth and one or fourth and three. Maybe I should go for it. We should try to score touchdowns on these drives instead. Oh, I I agree. Uh, You know what? The strange part is, and I'm not so sure which side I go on this because he knows he's an interim coach. He he probably has figured out he's not going to be the head coach of that team. So in that instance, and I know in your mind you're trying to do what you think is best to win that particular game. I get that. He's got to be thinking that way. Like, what in my mind do I think we should do? to win this particular game. But as an interim coach, would you more apt to side with being aggressive or not? Like, I know that's a bigger picture than the right in the moment. You have to make a decision, but he's so conservative. I wonder if that's just him. If he thinks he should be that way. Um, I'd like to see him take more chances. It, it doesn't appear that he's going to be the head coach. 
I don't know why, and, and yet maybe I'm wrong here because he shouldn't be thinking that way in terms of, hey, I'm not going to get this job. Let's just go for everything. But there are just so many instances where he should go for it, and he doesn't. I just don't know if he's completely unsure of himself because he's never done this job before. Right. I, If I were an interim head coach, I think that gives you the leniency to be more aggressive than any other coach in the league because yeah, you are right. – yeah an interim like you're you're fighting from the bottom up already like you're most likely not getting that job you just sort of fell into it and in this case fell into it because John Gruden sent some emails that were racist and homophobic right like and at this especially at this Rich Bisacci is not keeping the job the only way Rich Bisacci keeps the job is if they win a bunch of games. So it's not like Rich Bisacci is out here coaching in fear of losing his job as a head coach, right? Here's what here's what's going to happen. Rich Bisacci and the Raiders are not going to make the playoffs, and somebody's going to hire Rich Bisacci to be a special teams coordinator. Special teams right? coordinator. He's, he, yeah. it's, it's not nobody's going to take his head coaching resume here and be like, wow, you didn't go for it on fourth down, and not hire him as a special teams guy in the future. Like, nobody's going to no, care of not. about that. But Rich Passaccia, he had a chance here to take the job. He had a chance to prove I'm worthy of being a head coach, and he's been probably the most passive coach in the NFL since taking over. And to me, if I were an interim head coach, I'm basically playing with house money. That's basically the situation where, hey, I can be super aggressive, and if we lose a game because I went for it on fourth down and we didn't convert – that's fine because I wasn't keeping the job anyway. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree. I, that's why I sit there and I wonder why he's not more aggressive in the moment. And again, he's never done it before. And the other thing is, I don't think so. But, I mean, is is Olsen lending his thoughts to this? Or is Bisacci just saying we're kicking the field goal? Like, Or is he asking Olsen, do you have a play here? I, I, that's the stuff we just don't know. The, the conversations between these two guys... It was interesting yesterday, I gave Willie Ramirez a lot of credit for asking Derek Carr, you know, should there be a change made in play callers? And Carr said, I'm going to ask your, you know, Willie asked him a few things. He goes, I'm going to answer your only question. I love Olsen. And he, and he stopped talking and that was it. But I gave Willie credit. I mean, you, he asked at least, you know, is the play calling so suspect right now? Should you make a change? Now, again, really, who would make a, who would you change to? I mean, you can't change really to anybody. I don't yeah. think. Rod I mean, Marinelli. I don't I mean, would would you have Derek Carr call his own plays? I don't know. I don't think they're going to change, obviously, the play caller. But I just – the one thing I've never figured out, and I don't think they would tell us anyway, or maybe they would on a very, you know, roundabout way, is when these decisions come up, especially when you're on offense, obviously, and it's fourth and two, fourth and three, does he ask Olsen or does he just say we're going to kick the field goal? Like, I wouldn't be surprised either way. Like, if you told me he had a discussion with Olsen, um, that wouldn't surprise me. Or if he just said, no, we're kicking the field goal and I'm the head coach, and here we go. And I just think that's a bad situation. I think if you're the head coach, you have to make a decision. And I think you're exactly right about not being conservative in these moments when if you haven't figured it out by now, it's a really long shot that you're getting this job. But what you guys are missing is that he's the special teams coordinator. <laughs> so what do you think he has the most confidence in? He's like, I know Carlson can kick this. <laughs> I've seen him do it. Well, that that sounds, I mean, that, 
that could be it too. I mean, that's the thing. No one really knows. I mean, it, maybe he's coaching as if he's the special teams coordinator because that's the thing he knows. He's going to start kicking on third down instead of fourth down. Like, get out there, Daniel. Easy points. Yeah. Easy points. We got no shot at converting this on third down. Go kick the field goal for us. I, can, can I also ask a real quick follow-up of Derek Carr calls his own place. Do you think that means there would be more or less shots down the field? <laughs> <laughs> so, Okay. <laughs> I, I am not a football X's and O's guy, but I have to tell you, I am extremely tired of every time Derek Carr has a bad game and he gets asked about shots down the field. He's been doing this for years where he comes and he says, well, they're playing two deep safeties. What do you want me to do? Force it in there? Like he has been doing that for years and he did it again yeah. yesterday. And it's like, listen, yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Throw the ball into some danger every now and then. Throw it as far as you can. Right. Zay Jones is fast. Right. Uh, and Deshaun Jackson, it might be faster. Right. Uh, hit Zay Jones in the helmet on the one he did throw down the field. But, like, y- y- they've been doing this for almost a decade where they do not make the playoffs, and Derek Carr continues to throw short passes. And they've done it for, what, six of the last nine games where he doesn't throw down the field, yeah. and they score 15, 16 points. Like, yeah. yes, Throw the ball down the field, even if there's a safety there. Maybe somebody makes a play. We have enough evidence that it doesn't work the way you're trying to do it. And again, I don't want to say I'm not going to pile on as like X's and O's and oh, yeah, this is where it should or shouldn't be open. But like we've got enough evidence that this idea of, hey, they're playing two deep safeties. I can't take shots. You're losing. We've seen it for eight years. You're losing when that happens. No, you're exactly right. And he... Yesterday, whether it was the calls or his inability or his just is not his desire, he was checked down all day. That's why we made a joke, you know, in the beginning. It's like, and and Josh tweeted this out. What was his air yards in the first half yesterday? Now they barely had the ball. I think they had the ball for nine or ten minutes in the first half. That was a disaster anyway. But he was not throwing it down the field at all. At one point, the air yards were like zero. Yeah, his. I mean, it, it was just it was pathetic. He he took a couple of shots late in the first or in the second quarter that sort of upped the air yards, but. His first 11 completions traveled a combined zero yards down the field. Yeah, zero yards. Which is, that—that that is insane. Like, even if they're it's playing. almost impossible. Yeah, even if they're playing two deep safeties, that's, like, indefensible. So, I just, there's, I don't know, so much wrong with this offense. There's so much blame to go around. I just, whatever. They're going to beat the Chiefs by three touchdowns next week, and we're going to be confused next Monday looking around saying, what I can't wait till they happened? beat the Chiefs and then Derek Carr walks into that in, in that interview. <laughs> well, Gutierrez, you said we were going to lose, but I love you. <laughs> All right. I do want to talk about um, probably a couple of injuries that the Raiders had here. First off, Kenyon Drake left the game, um, ankle injury. His season is done for. Mm. You got to throw the Joker out of the pack. <laughs> Given how bad the run game has been, do you think this has any like material significance to the way they play the rest of the year? No, I just think that they've really, really been better. I mean, you know, he can, he's a better, I think he's better in the passing game for the checkdowns um, than Josh Jacobs. But, you know, I, I don't think it's an exponentially any different than what we've seen, because if he was that different, then the running game would have been improved. Yeah. I assume it wouldn't have been this bad the entire year. Now the injuries that, probably will have an impact depending on how serious there are. The Raiders had three different injuries at linebacker during the game yesterday. Kwiatkowski mm-hmm. was out early. Littleton got hurt. And then late Perryman. Denzel Perryman got hurt. Uh, Divine Diablo played a season high in snaps at linebacker. And honestly, 
I don't think Divine Diablo was actually that bad. It wasn't like there was some glaring hole that they were picking on Divine Diablo. But a lot of injuries to linebackers. I I didn't see an update yesterday. I don't even know if there was one. We'll have to wait probably a couple of days. I don't think any of those are probably season-ending like the Kenyon Drake one was. But you are looking at potentially the Raiders having to play Divine Diablo at linebacker if they are serious injuries to those three guys, bringing somebody off the practice squad. Like, that one might have a significant uh, impact the rest of the way, depending on how serious those three guys are hurt. Yeah, and the one guy, I mean, of all of them, you don't want to lose is, I think, and I think you'll agree, is Perryman. Yeah. Um, leads the team in tackles, and I think he's had a really solid year. So if he's out, and and Rich Bisacci said he'll have an update on all the injuries today when he has his press conference. So I think they're crossing their fingers. A lot of things happen here. Obviously, I think Drake, uh, he even Josh Jacobs said when he went over, Kenyon Drake said, I broke it. And they, those guys know pretty fast what's happened to their bodies. So he is out. But Perryman, they'll have an update on today. And the other one is, like, how long is Darren Waller out? You know, yeah. with, the, with, the, with the tendon none of us have ever heard of, but we all have it in our bodies. <laughs> all right, Jared. Mine's hurting right now. Jared, tell me what you got. Jared just whispered okay. to me. He's got something really dumb, so I'm excited. All right. Well, I, I played this a little bit earlier, but I want to play it again. It's Brian Johnson's. 48-yard field goal. Snap, hold, kick. It is up and jackpot. It's good. Washington takes the lead. Did the Washington football team's announcer steal the Raiders? Yeah, like he did. He steal it or and like, like what's going on there? Is jackpot becoming it, a like thing across the league? Because I need that to stop. It might have been him. Thinking beforehand, if he makes it, I'll make a Vegas reference. What if he? What if I'm he was sure. like mocking I mean, the Raiders? What if he was like, "Yeah, Brent Musburger says jackpot when they score, so I'm going to steal <laughs> it when the Redskins or when Washington takes the lead." That's my follow up. So obviously they failed the two point conversion. What's the opposite of jackpot, baby? Like bankrupt? Yeah, bust. Yeah, going like crippling debt, baby. <laughs> he busted. He busted it. <laughs> All right, coming up next, it's Bischoff's briefs on the horrible, horrible week that UNLV had. Bischoff's briefs. I wanted you to see these player evaluations that you asked me to do. Bischoff's briefs. I asked you to do three. Yeah. Bischoff's briefs. To evaluate three players. Yeah. How many did you do? Bischoff's briefs. 47. Oh, Actually, 51. I don't know why I lied just then. Oh, Jamar can't handle a pass inside, runs it down, and then throws it away. And it's taken by Keyshawn Gilbert. Gilbert underneath. Gilbert got fouled. They didn't call it. Gilbert got grabbed. They didn't call it. He missed the layup. That's ridiculous. I mean, I know the game's out of hand, but and Kevin Kruger is letting the official have it. It's the principal. And I don't blame him. I mean, that that's ridiculous. The, I think they almost could have called it an intentional foul. Now Stefanini gets away from Gilbert and lays it in. He's, you know, give Keyshawn credit. He, he just keeps playing, but that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. UNLV lost by 21 to San Francisco. They were actually down by three at halftime, but got blown out in the second half. So UNLV wraps up the difficult portion of their non-conference schedule going 0-5 against the quality opponents. But 
some interesting ways that this loss to San Francisco went down. First off, Kevin Kruger benched three starters. Bryce Hamilton, Donovan Williams, Mike Nuga out of the starting lineup. And then after the game, according to Mike Ramallo, who was in San Francisco covering it, UNLV coaches and players did not talk to the media until 45 minutes after the game. Um, normally it takes anywhere in the 15 to 20 minute range for the player after the game ends for the players and coaches to come talk to the media. 45 minutes is definitely different. Gramala tweeted out that you could hear shouting coming from the locker room. But let me tell you one thing where Kevin Kruger screwed up here. He was sending a message to Bryce Hamilton, Donovan Williams, and Mike Nuga. He was sending a message to his team that, hey, the way they're playing, their shot selection was the big thing that he highlighted uh, to the media before that game was played, was not good enough. But where Kruger messed up is he picked a terrible time in the schedule to send that message. Let's go back a couple of seasons because we've seen this before. TJ Otzelberger did this in his first season. UNLV was 4-8. and eight. They were coming off a bad loss to Pacific. TJ Otzelberger gave his eat, sleep, and breathe basketball quote, right? Great quote. Love that one. And then he benched four of his five starters in the next game. But TJ Otzelberger did that when UNLV was playing a home game against Robert Morris. Robert Morris was 4-8 and eight at the time. Robert Morris was ranked 286th in Ken Palm. And you know what? UNLV won that game. They played Jay Green 32 minutes. My boy! And won that game because... Jay Green's great! Robert Morris was terrible. But they should have done it against Whittier. Kevin Kruger did this against San Francisco, who is now 9-0. They're top 50 in Ken Palm. And what happened is that a starting lineup that had Reese Brown in it, that had Josh Baker and Justin Webster taking the spot of Donovan Williams and Bryce Hamilton... They were down 12 to two to start the game. Like Kruger very quickly had to go to the three guys he benched. He very quickly had to go to Bryce Hamilton, Mike Nuga, and Donovan Williams to save the game. And Bryce Hamilton was very good in the first half, brought UNLV back into the game. So the message of like shot selection or whatever Kevin Kruger wanted to send, I don't think that worked because you walk away from that game saying, listen, you can try to play Reese Brown. You can try to bench Bryce Hamilton, but you ain't winning any games if you do that. You need those guys. So I think Kruger messed up the timing of when he wanted to send this message because they he sent those five starters, Reese Brown, Baker, Webster, Ham, and Jordan McCabe. They had no chance. He did it against a team that is too good. There's no evidence of, hey, we can be successful with Bryce Hamilton, Mike Nuga, and Donovan Williams on the bench. It's not true. They need those guys, and... He kind of proved that point and said, hey, you guys are important enough that you can do whatever you want, and I still have to play you. Yeah, and here's the point to that. If you don't do that against a really good team, and they respond, and I agree, I thought Bryce was really good. He got to the rim. I thought that was one of his better games, not his best game. And they respond well, then you don't have to do it at all. Yeah. So, you know, like if you do it against, you know, nah, look, if it's a two-point game and you still lose, that team's really good and you're on the road, you're in a small gym and all the stuff that goes with playing San Francisco. But if they respond and they take good shots and their shot selection's better than it's been and they don't do the things that he's upset at, then you never have to bench your starters. Again, you come back against Seattle and, and you do it again, maybe down the line against uh, who they play on Saturday at Hartford or I'm, I'm, I'm missing who they play on Saturday. But maybe you do it against one of those teams. But, but you're right, because had they responded, then 
you don't you don't even have to tell them you were even thinking about it. <laughs> you don't even have to let them know that. And right? I mean, yeah, if absolutely. they come out and play really well, why hey, you know I was going to anyway. I was going to sit you down if you didn't get it together. Sit like you down, but you played really really well, so now I won't do it. Here here's the bigger issue for UNLV though when we when we look at results. It's not that they went to San Francisco and lost. Again, that team's undefeated. San Francisco's really good. This year, it's not that they went to SMU and lost. It's not that they lost to UCLA. It's that they've lost all three of those games by at least 19 points. Like, yeah. they, they have not yeah. been competitive against UCLA, SMU, or San Francisco. The games were not close in the second half, right? You go back, they lose to Wichita State at the very end. A questionable call at the end, whatever. Like, But at least you look back and say, yeah, UNLV played really well against Wichita State, and it was you know one play away from actually winning that game. Even the Michigan game, they ended up losing by 13, but it was a fairly close game until about four minutes to go. Like, You certainly walked yeah. away from the loss to Michigan thinking, ah, they, they played with them. Like, Clearly, Michigan's better, but they could play with that team. The last three games, you walk away saying, they can't even play with these teams and that's the big issue going forward because SMU and um, San Francisco those are pretty good comp- uh, comparable teams to what the Mountain West is going to look like like those are the same level of the top five in the especially Mountain West especially at the top the yeah. top end yeah. so like if you're non-competitive on the road against those teams you're probably going to be non-competitive on the road against San Diego State and Colorado State and whoever else ends up at the top of this conference so bad timing on the message and brutal results in terms of just how you feel about the team regardless of the wins now on the offense I'm going to give you two things that I thought were encouraging from that game first off Bryce Hamilton took 11 shots in the paint 11 in the paint that is a very good number for him the one issue though he made five of six of his shots in the paint in the first half he made just two of five in the second half Hamilton has always been a slightly below average finisher at the rim. So you're going to have those moments where he struggles, but it's good to see him get to the rim. I do think like the message of, Hey, Bryce Hamilton stopped taking mid range shots. I do think we kind of saw it get through at least for a game. We'll see what happens this week, but at least for a game, I think that got through the other one. UNLV played small. They played with Donovan Williams at the center for five minutes and two seconds against San Francisco. And they outscored San Francisco 14 to two. In that stretch, defensively, UNLV survived. They didn't get crushed defensively despite playing really small. And offensively, they're able to spread the floor, put five guys around the perimeter, and it opens up driving lanes. It makes getting to the rim much easier. And they're better in transition. So what you have for UNLV, Royce Ham is solid. He should play minutes as the primary big, as many as you can get out of him. But David Mawaka and Reese Brown should not see the floor. Those guys should not be in the game. David Mwaka was not good. He checked oh in in the God. second half. Listen, David Mwaka checked in in the second half, and USF immediately ran back-to-back post-isolations against him. A post-isolation is the least efficient play in basketball. And San and Francisco... you're going against David Mwaka. And San Francisco said, we don't care about that. David Mwaka's on the floor. And both of them ended in easy layups. He cannot play. Now, the problem with Donovan Williams at the five, though is foul trouble. He ended that game with four minutes or four fouls. He leads the Mountain West in fouls per 40 minutes. He's over six. He struggles to defend without fouling. He can't stay on the floor. So while I love the small ball lineup, Donovan Williams fouls too much for it to actually work for more than a few minutes a game. If they can figure out that foul trouble, then maybe they've got something there offensively that will help them a lot, but they've got to figure out the fouling issues. Coming up next... Brad Powers joins the show.
headsets went out uh, for basically the whole second half. Um, so when we were backed up, I'm trying, it's like high school out there, trying to yell the plays that you're getting from up top. Uh, we started doing that before we had the walkie-talkie. So when Bill's giving me the play, I got to yell it down to, to Andy and make sure he gets it. Andy couldn't hear Bill. So Bill was calling the play. I was giving, I had the walkie-talkie. So Bill was saying the play to me, and I was relaying it into to Andy. So there's a whole little deal that goes on there in those moments. You know, that's what the walkie-talkie saved us because otherwise you're, you're yelling plays like high school. Unfortunately, there's, uh, with technology, that's how things can be. So you get, you got to fight through it, though. We're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Graney and Tyler Bischoff. Be part of the conversation on the Finley Kia text line at 69187. Finley Kia, come see a Kia on West Sahara. Ed, are you there? Do we need a walkie-talkie? Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Sounds spectacular. All, All right. right. We need we need the walkie-talkie. Uh-oh. Was there, was there some echo there? Nope, I think it's gone. All right, we're good. We're good. Joining us now is Brad Powers. Good morning, Brad. How are you? Excellent. Hey, Brad. How are, how are you guys doing? <laughs> Very good. So, all right, I'll just, I'll start with this. Do you think the college football playoff committee intentionally avoided a Georgia-Alabama rematch in the semis, or do you think that's who they thought, or that was the right order for the top four? Well, I, I think there was some intention that they avoided. Do I think it's the right order? I do, actually. So I don't have that big of an issue with how they seeded the teams. Uh, you know, Alabama, when you looked at the strength of their record, uh, I mean, in my opinion, you just beat better teams than Michigan did, even though Alabama, for a majority of the season, didn't look like the Alabama old. They certainly turned it on when they needed to against Georgia. So I didn't have a big problem with it, but I do think there was some intention there that, that they didn't rematch a semifinal. And I'm okay with that, honestly. More impressed with Alabama, more disappointed with Georgia. More disappointed with Georgia's defense. Uh, I mean, including myself, everybody, you know, was, you know, touting the team as, uh, you know, the defense is one of the best we've ever seen in college football, especially considering that it's an offensive-driven sport now. Uh, I mean, everything that I saw for the first 12 games said they were historically great, and then Alabama took all that away in 30 minutes of football. Uh, does the quarterback decision matter for Georgia? Like, should there be a conversation about JT Daniels, or is it all about, like you said, the defense not giving up 40-plus points? So that's an excellent question, Tyler, and I'm not sure that Georgia has the answer right now. I, I think I would not be a bit surprised that they do you know, make a switch, and I'm surprised they haven't made a switch. I mean, come on. Uh, if you didn't – look, Georgia <laughs> has out-recruited just about everybody in college football, and, and even to some extent Alabama over the last three, four years. That's how many five-star players Georgia has. But if it wasn't a referendum on how important the quarterback position is, when you got a five-star in Bryce Young compared to a walk-on, I mean, that game is exhibit A on how important it is to get develop and, and have a really good quarterback. So, uh, to me, uh, I expect to see some JT Daniels in the semifinal against Michigan. How, uh, what are the ways that Michigan can do this and win two games? <laughs> uh, I mean, they're going to be up against it, uh, to, to say the least. But you know what? I thought they were up against against the Buckeyes, uh, especially when, when I started you know, comparing and thinking about Michigan football over the last 15 years. And guess what? Uh, I mean, they ended that with uh, you know a slam dunk. And you know, I thought they might be a little flat against Iowa, and then they answered that. So 
Uh, you know, number one, you know, I just continue to be yourself. I mean, they can get pressure on the quarterback. That's pretty good. And win the line of scrimmage up front with their offensive line. And they've been doing that. So I, I don't think they need, I would, I would not do anything different than what they've been doing. Don't, don't be anything other than yourself. Obviously, they're going to need Cade McNamara to play out of his mind to beat a Georgia and Alabama. But, uh, you know, I'm impressed with Michigan. I didn't think they could do it against Ohio State. And obviously, they proved me wrong in that department. Brad Powers with us. Make sure you follow on Twitter at Brad Powers 7. Check out BradPowersports.com. Um, expectation for Cincinnati against Alabama. Like, is this going to be the typical college football playoff semifinal where it's a blowout and we're all bored because it's a blowout? I think so. And to me, it's not necessarily a matter of Cincinnati. Uh, I think they'll play really well. They'll play up their capability. We've seen them against an SEC opponent last year. I thought they should have beaten Georgia outright in that game. They kind of blew, you know, the last few minutes where and they just make another first down. Georgia can't drive the length of the field and get a field goal. I, I expect them to play really well. To me, the question is, what Alabama's showing up? The team that I watched all regular season or the team that I saw, you know, boat race Georgia on Saturday? Uh, and if we get, you know, B-plus, A-minus effort, at least out of Alabama, and they're not only going to win, but they'll cover that, you know, the two-touchdown point spread. Is there anyone that was outside the playoff that – would have been a better matchup than Cincinnati against Alabama, or, or would you think anybody that's in that would have been in that spot would have gotten blown out by an A plus or A minus B plus Alabama? Uh, I mean, there's no question. Ohio State would be, you know, if you're looking for a closer game as far as a point spread goes. I mean, Ohio State would be easily closer to Alabama as far as that is concerned. I mean, Alabama would be, you know, probably even less than a touchdown favorite against the Buckeyes. I mean, I would still on a neutral have Ohio State maybe one point or so better than Michigan, uh, believe it or not. So keep in mind, I mean, they were laying a touchdown on the road against Michigan in that game. So, yeah, no question. If you're looking just a pure power rating, if we're going off Vegas ratings, the Buckeyes would be in the top four. Brad, um, real quick here on another on this situation, who got the best hire? Um, I assume everyone's going to say Lincoln Riley, Brian Kelly goes to LSU, and Marcus Freeman, I know you follow the Irish closely. Were you surprised they turned it that quickly on him? I think they had to. Uh, just they needed staff continuity. I mean, it's not broke at Notre Dame right now. I mean, they're five straight double-digit win seasons, and I know you lose your head man and Kelly, but to keep your strength coach, your offense coordinator, defensive coordinator, and, and all your good assistants, I mean, I, I like the job that they did there. Now, if you're asking me, you know, if I'm ranking them right now, we're not done yet. I mean, obviously Mario Cristobal is an outstanding hire, at least from a recruiting aspect for Miami. But uh, to me, the biggest slam dunk is probably Lincoln Riley, Dusty. I mean, it shows a commitment finally for a West Coast school <laughs> that they want to compete, you know, with the rest of college football. He'll be unbelievable as far as getting skill position talent there at USC. That's been a, a major problem, and it'll actually weaken some of the other powers because, I mean, Bryce Young is from California. I mean, to me now, Bryce Young's your starting quarterback at USC. He's not going to Alabama. All right, you – experienced this with Notre Dame. We saw it with Oklahoma as well. Is there anything more entertaining than a blue blood program, or at least a program that thinks it's a blue blood, losing its coach to another college football team? Well, I mean, it's, we've never seen it before at that level. So, yeah, I mean, I'll say this. As a college football fan, last week was unbelievable. Uh, I mean, it was, as, you know, 
I, it reminds me of when I used to get on message before I, you know, professionally bet. It reminded me of, you know, days in high school and college when I, you know, used to get on the message boards, look at you, who's going to pick up on signing day, this recruit and that, you know, the coaching carousel. So, I mean, I think everything that's gone down for college football, as far as an entertainment aspect, has been good for the sport. Now, you know, 100 million plus contracts for coaches and coaches <laughs> leaving before bowl games and, you know, everything that went down there, I'm not necessarily from an integrity aspect is good for the sport, but my goodness, that was entertainment last week. Wait, do you believe in Mel Tucker? Uh, no, uh, not yet. <laughs> I would not, you know, I, I wouldn't, let's just put it this way. I wouldn't have given him 10 years, 95 million. That's just, that's, you, that's me. Do you want Mel Tucker's agent? Yeah, I mean, I would like a lot of these guys' agents. But, yeah, I, you know, Mel Tucker to get that kind of contract when, you know, at that point he's basically 500 as a head coach, you know, if you're counting the Colorado record. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't mind that. On the idea of, like, college football and the entertainment side of this, how much better or maybe you think it'd be worse would the last couple of weeks of the season been if we had an 8- or 12-team playoff instead of 4? Uh Probably a little bit better, and I'm not a huge playoff guy. Just to have more teams in the mix, I, you know, I'm from a fan aspect. Though, I mean, does that lessen how important Michigan Ohio State was when when both teams would have made the playoff regardless? You know, it, that would concern me a little bit. Uh, so, I mean, look how important that Cincinnati Notre Dame game ended up being. Uh, I mean, a game that you wouldn't think had held that much importance. So. I mean, if you expand the playoff a game like that, it just doesn't have the same uh, amount of value. So I'm kind of torn between it. But, you know, i am also got to look at it from a better's aspect. And, you know, that's, I'm okay. Expand the playoff. More teams in, the, the merrier for me to bet. I know you've looked at all the games. Any off the top of your head, any standout that you like right now? Uh, yeah, I bet quite a few. Uh, it's unfortunate that a lot of the books here in Vegas are dinosaurs and they didn't post them uh, compared to, uh, you know, Jersey and offshore. But, you know, one of the fa- my favorite bets that I made so far was, you know, if you're looking at motivational disadvantage, I think Fresno State's really up against it. You don't have your coach, you don't have your quarterback, <laughs> and you're laying, you know, double digits against UTEP, who's going to be super excited to be playing in a bowl game. So, I expect nothing but UTEP money to show in the marketplace. UTEP plus 12.5 plus 13 looks good to me. Well, he is Brad Powers. Again, it's at Brad Powers 7 on Twitter. Brad, as always, we appreciate it. Thank you, Brad. Hey, thanks for having me on, guys. Take care. All right, so there is Brad Powers on the college football, the end of the regular season as we go into the bowl game and the playoffs. Is nobody hoping Cincinnati runs the table? Oh, I'm absolutely hoping Cincinnati, if they win the national championship, I think that's the most fun outcome of the college football playoff. Okay, well, it seems like Ed's like, how do we get Michigan into this? Well, I mean, I think I said that only because I don't think Cincinnati is a chance. Right. I'm with Tyler. If they won it, I would be ecstatic for a group of I to win it, but I don't think they have any chance, so I don't want the SEC winning it, so I wanted to throw in that other team to see if they had any kind of chance. It appeared... He gave some reasons, and yet he doesn't think that's happening. No, it does not sound like it. Um, I, I, yeah. What I want, and it's all I've ever wanted since Boise did it a long time ago, is someone to win on a Statue of Liberty. Yeah, it'd be fun. <laughs> Listen, if Cincinnati won the national championship on a trick play, like Boise State beat Oklahoma and what was that, the Fiesta Bowl? That, yeah. That's, that's the best possible outcome. Like that, That's the thing. Like Cincinnati getting blown out is a terrible outcome for college football. 
because Cincinnati getting blown out basically says, well, we should never put a group of five team in the four team playoff. And why should they even be in an eight team playoff or a 12 team playoff? Hell, you, if Cincinnati gets blown out, you can argue why, why even have an eight team playoff? There's not eight good enough teams, yeah. but if Cincinnati were to win the damn thing, then you're looking around saying, listen, you've been screwing TCU and Boise state and Utah for all these years, UCF when they could have done that. So yeah. that is absolutely the best possible outcome. Because, like, listen, nothing's going to spur college football expansion more. Well, actually, they could probably retract the playoff if Cincinnati won it. They'd probably say, hey, yeah, we're going back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going back to the BCS. We can't have BCS, this. BCS, two yeah. teams, the top two teams. We can't have this Cincinnati thing in the t- winning the championship here. But that's the most fun outcome. But, like, Ed's dealing in reality here. It's not happening. I just also, though, how are we not rooting for a, like, gobsmacked Harbaugh on the sideline losing in the final seconds. Like, that would be the ultimate. That's what I'm rooting for, is I want Harbaugh on the sideline looking confused and disappointed. Yeah, that'd be fun, too. I'm on board with that. Like, yeah, Cincinnati beats Alabama and Georgia, while Georgia beats Michigan on some last-second play where Harbaugh's just baffled as to how he blew a game. Yeah, that's fun. I'm on board for this scenario, absolutely. But it's going to be Georgia probably beating Alabama in a rematch, and we're all going to be... I'm not satisfied saying what the hell was that? I hope it's the LSU nine to six. Yeah, it's probably what it's going to be. <laughs> All right, here we go. We've got tickets Woo! to the Golden Knights and Wild on December 12th. 702-364-1100 is the phone number if you're going to want to go watch the Golden Knights play the Minnesota Wild. 702-364-1100. We will take caller number 12 at 702-364-1100. I know it's frustrating, but I mean, you've got it right where you want it, right? You get the ball coming out. Is it baffling that you just can't seem to execute? You know, I don't want to go into baffle. It's just, yeah, I mean, we're searching for answers right now. How do you find answers? You go to work, and that's, we're going to go back to work. I don't mean to be redundant and coach speak, but there's no nothing else I can tell you. Does it? Is it frustrating for everybody involved? Absolutely. Are we better than that? Absolutely are better than that. Do we have better players than that? Yes. Do we have better coaches than that? Yes. So now it's time to go produce, and like you said, we're right there. You're locked in the press box. Congratulations to Betsy. She won her tickets to go out to the Golden Knights, take on the Wild on December 12th. You heard Urban Meyer there. The Jacksonville Jaguars lost 37-7 to to the LA Rams yesterday. Uh, does anybody believe him when he says we have better players and better coaches than that? Say, that's... The first thing I thought of, well, I thought with the coaches because I'm not sure who's on the guy's staff. Um, but yeah, I, if they have better players, how can they be so bad? <laughs> I think it goes to the coaches. <laughs> it goes to him and his staff. Has coach speak? I mean, I again, I understand why he said what he said. What is he going to say? I mean, you know, we stink. We don't have any players or coaches. But I mean, I think it's also fair to ask the question when he says that. Is like really? Because you don't seem to have either. <laughs> uh just to to dig in further on the Jags, Austin Gale of Pro Football Focus just tweeted, the amount of design plays to Carlos Hyde and Laquan Treadwell the Jags ran yesterday should be illegal. Okay. So they don't have the players, and it doesn't sound like they have the coaches either to be better than 37-7. to 7. I've got an update for you. You're going to like this if I can. Uh, let's see. Um 
Willie tweeted out uh, by Edge Sports, Raiders coach Rich Misachi had the number two and number three worst coaching decisions of week 13. Yeah. Surprised he wasn't number one, two, and three. I was going to say, who, who's number one? Urban Meyer? It was actually well, it was actually Ron Rivera. It was the one Versace oh, was no, going No, was against. it? Yeah. Are you serious? Yeah. his uh, When he kicked the field goal, they were up by one to put him up by four. Oh, I think it was a okay. fourth and one decision, and he decided I to kick. I remember that. I remember that. And they tried to draw him off sides. Yeah. So, <laughs> which never works. Yeah, it does yeah. never work. All right. It's, go ahead, Jared. Uh, okay. Well, all I was going to say was... Uh, at this point, do we feel like we're going to have to wait like until Urban Meyer's fired to figure out if Trevor Lawrence is good? Probably. Cuz I great, great every point. time I watch great him point. play, I'm like, I don't I don't know if he's bad or this is just bad. I mean, he is not he is certainly you can certainly say he's been worse than expected. Like regardless yes. of who the coach is, he's been worse than expected. Yeah. Like he doesn't even look like Justin Herbert out there. Yeah. But I think we've also seen for a lot of quarterbacks who aren't the you know top tier of the league, it's very important to be in a good scheme slash coaching situation. Like there's a reason Mac Jones looks like the best rookie quarterback. And it's not because Mac Jones is significantly better than Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields or Trey Lance, who hasn't played at all. It's because he's in the I best mean, coaching situation. He He's definitely better than the kid from BYU. Yeah, that's probably fair to say. Hey, he threw a touchdown pass yesterday. <laughs> Are you sure it for wasn't Mike time, White? For the, for the first time since week four. I heard that on the radio. It must be true. All right. Uh, and I want to see if you can identify who sent this tweet. It's, uh, it's about a month old. It's from November 2nd. So just so you know. When the Raiders make the Super Bowl this year, I will argue, successfully I might add, that not only is Derek Carr the MVP... I will make the case that there has never been a more valuable player. David Carr. Yeah. yeah. Congratulations. It has since been deleted and the Raiders are. <laughs> I mean, it would have to be. No. And the Raiders are no, one and he, four. Did he delete it? Oh, he did. He's a deleter. Oh, tweet wow. deleter. That must have been an awkward Thanksgiving. <laughs> no, your yeah, tweet that's... wasn't up anymore. Not that I read any of that. <laughs> that is so disappointing. I mean, he's out of control with the tweets every year with the MVP situation. I didn't know. I had no idea he deleted them, though. I mean, yep. I no respect there. Far more respect for him just comp- continuing to be a complete nut job with these tweets about his brother. Yep. But no respect for deleting them. Tweet has been deleted. So how many years in a row are we going on David Carr claiming his brother's going to yep. win MVP? Uh, I know last year he said the same thing, and he also said Gruden would be coach of the year. Yeah. Um. I okay. Uh, this is probably unfair to David Carr because I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I've I've got a wealth of watching David Carr on NFL Network. But how how is he on TV as an analyst if he continues to tell us that Derek Carr is the MVP? I I assume the rest of his football opinions are are, are solid, right? I'm going to make that assumption, and that's why. But like, how, you can't keep bringing the guy on that says Derek Carr is going to win the MVP year after year after year. No. And like, it's not like they can't find another former player to be on television. <laughs> like at some point, you got to say, all right, it's the guy who's going to say Derek Carr is better than he is. We don't need him anymore. 